Life Audio. Welcome to Christian Natural Health with naturopathic Dr. Lauren DeVille. Christian Natural Health is the podcast on how to get and stay healthy God's way. You'll hear topics on nutrition, exercise, sleep, avoiding toxicity, meditating on scripture, what supplements to take, stress management, defeating anxiety and worry, how to reconcile Eastern medicine approaches with Christianity, and a whole lot more. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lauren. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Today I'm going to be meditating on the concept of the power of meditation and imagination. When we think of meditation, a lot of us think of chanting and things affiliated with other religions, but at its core, that's not what it is. Meditation can simply be calming the mind by disciplined focus on some external stimulus like your breath, your heart, or the ambient sounds around you. And if your mind is scattered and flitting from topic to topic, there is certainly great physiologic value in this as it will get you out of fight or flight and into the parasympathetic rest and digest state. Also, if your mind is too loud, it makes it all but impossible for you to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. So quieting your mind through this form of meditation is valuable for that reason as well. Biblically, though, meditation is more than just quieting your monkey brain. That gets you back to neutral. Rather, biblical meditation involves focused thought upon an idea long enough for you to get a picture in your mind of what you're contemplating. We all do this all the time. It's just a matter of what we're thinking about. Andrew Womack likes to say that if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Worry is meditation upon something negative. Paul tells us that we should be meditating on, um, tells us what we should be meditating on in Philippians 4 verse 8. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The reason this is so important is because scripture tells us that our thoughts determine what we believe, just like planting seeds will determine what kind of harvest we get. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We can act contrary to what we truly believe for a short period of time, but what we think in our hearts is who we really are, and it will come out eventually. This is why Jesus said that the most important parable he ever taught was the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, 3 to 23. In the parable, the seed is the word of God, and the soil is the hearts of the listeners. It's the state of the soil which determines how well that seed will grow and produce a harvest. There are some there are other possible seeds besides God's word though. In the parable there were thorns and tares in one type of so- soil as well. Jesus later defines these for us as the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, Matthew 13, verse 22, which can choke the word such that it becomes unfruitful. Those sound like the typical sources of worry to me. 
Think of thoughts in general, any type of thought, as a potential seed that can eventually bear a harvest if you plant it and cultivate it or meditate upon it until you can see it in your mind. A stray thought here or there can't do this any more than a seed can without the right environment for it to grow, which is why we're told in Scripture to take our thoughts captive in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Think of this like weeding the garden of your heart. If you don't want the harvest, then pluck up the plant before it can bear fruit, or better yet, avoid exposing yourself to the seed in the first place if you can control it. This isn't always possible, but we can choose what we watch, what we listen to, what kind of church we go to, one that preaches faith or unbelief, and what kind of people we spend time with. Bad company corrupts good character, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33. So if you surround yourself with people who are negative, complaining, undisciplined, or any other negative character trait, most likely it'll rub off on you eventually. Those people influence how you think, and unwittingly, this plants seeds in your heart that will eventually bear a harvest if they're allowed to do so. It takes discipline to control our imaginations, of course. Just like the second law of thermodynamics describes entropy in the universe, which means that left to themselves, all systems go from order to disorder, so the tremendous power available in our minds will accomplish nothing if we don't focus it appropriately. Worse, if we use our imaginations for an actively destructive purpose like worrying, we might end up with exactly what we're essentially believing for. A medical example of this is the placebo effect versus the nocebo effect. About 30% of people, probably those who are most suggestible, in clinical trials will typically get better even if they're given a sugar pill rather than the actual medication being tested because they believe it will help them. Their minds make it work. The nocebo is the same principle in reverse. If you believe something will make you worse, it very well might, even if the substance itself is neutral. This is the whole concept behind affirmations or positive confessions. Say something long enough or often enough and eventually it'll sink down into your subconscious mind and you'll start to believe it even if you don't at first. Not what we superficially say, but what we truly believe determines how we will act. Other religions and spiritual traditions jump on, onto this too in books like The Secret because it's a neutral principle which can work for us or against us. It's just part of the way God set up the world. In Genesis 11 verse 6, speaking of the Tower of Babel, God says, If as one people speaking the same language, language they have begun to do this, now nothing they imagine to do will be impossible for them. This is a negative story, but it illustrates the principle as God made it. Jesus said the same thing on the flip side when the disciples were amazed at the fig tree that withered when he cursed it. He says, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them, and you will have them. That's uh, Mark eleven twenty three to 24. When I was a kid, I read this verse, and I took it at face value and commanded the mountain outside my bedroom window to be cast into the sea. Nothing happened, of course, but I also didn't expect it to happen. That's the caveat. You have to actually believe what you're saying, like Jesus did. And that's why it's so important for you to guard your heart with all diligence, because of out of it literally spring the issues of life, Proverbs four twenty to 23. But not immediately. As with any plant, harvest come, first the blade, then the head, after that, the full grain in the head, Mark 4, verse 28. Gardening is hard work. You have to constantly plant not just what you want, but you have to prepare the soil, water the seed, and pluck up competing weeds that might steal nutrients from your fledgling little plant and choke it. It's just like that with our minds. That's why biblical meditation, using a positive imagination to picture what we want, to visualize God's promises coming to pass, is so important. Here's an overview of some of the Hebrew and Greek words in Scripture translated to meditate or to imagine, speak, ponder, etc., their context, and how they can help. that can help to back up this idea. So one Hebrew word, haga, which means to speak, to meditate, to imagine, to stutter, to mutter, to utter, to muse, or to devise. This word shows up in John 
Joshua 1.8, which says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Notice that God didn't tell Joshua to just read the book of the law. He told him to meditate on it day and night, to the point where it's coming out of his mouth continually. That's what was required for him to truly follow what was written. That's what, what was necessary for him to prosper and have success. And then Psalm 1, 2-3 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. These are the results of meditating on God's word versus Psalm 2, verse 1, which says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine, same word, a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision." The ungodly use the same principle of meditation to produce evil. This psalm shows that it won't ultimately work for them, but only because God will step in in the end, just as he did at the flood when the imaginations of men's hearts were only evil all the time. It says that in Genesis 6, 5. And then when the men of the repopulated earth tried to build the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, verse 6. Psalm 2 looks ahead to when God will step in again, as described in the book of Revelation. Then Psalm 35, verse 28, And my tongue shall speak, same word, of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. Psalm 63, verse 6 says, When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate, same word, on thee on the night in the night watches. Psalm 71, verse 24 says, My tongue shall also talk, same word, of thy righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, for they are brought unto shame that seek my hurt. Psalm 77, verse 12, I will meditate, same word, haga, of all, also of all thy work, and talk of thy doings. And then Psalm 143, verse 5, I remember the days of old, I meditate, same word, haga, on all thy works, I muse on the work of thy hands. So consider the fact that the man who wrote all of these psalms started out as a shepherd boy, the youngest of his brothers, and some speculate that he was even illegitimate, and he became the greatest king Israel ever had, to the point where the Messiah was called by his name, son of David, in Luke 18, verse 38. And much of what we know about meditation comes from him, so we should probably pay attention. Psalm 38, verse 12 says, They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine, same word, haga, deceits, all the, all the day long. So, and this is where David is speaking of his enemies. David knew that his enemies were using the same principle against him. And he spent some 13 to 17 years on the run from these enemies. We don't know exactly how old he was when he was anointed king, so we don't know how long he was running. But it was a long time. It certainly looked to him like they were winning for quite a while. Fortunately, David persisted in envisioning and trusting and believing in God's promises coming to pass, even when everything seemed to be against him. And circumstances went from bad to much worse. In 1 Samuel 30, verses 1 to 6, David had finally fled with his men out of Israel altogether and was dwelling in the land of his enemies, where th their city, Ziklag, was burned to the ground. Their wives and children and everything they had was stolen, and his men turned on him and spoke of stoning him. The natural human response to this would have been to give in to emotions of despair, but instead David strengthened himself in the Lord, First Samuel 30, verse 6. You know that this took incredible discipline on his part to fix his thoughts on what God said and not his current circumstances. Some believe that David encouraged himself by writing Psalm 61 after Ziklag was burned. The result was not only did David and his men recover everything that was taken from them, but within days he was crowned king at long, long last. 
And then Proverbs 15, verse 28, the heart of the righteous studieth, that same word, haga, to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. So back to the idea of entropy, cultivating our minds to produce righteousness, wisdom, and a positive imagination doesn't just happen. We have to study. We have to do this work. This is the process of being transformed by the renewing of our minds, which Paul writes about in Romans 12, verse 2. And then Proverbs 24, 1 and 2, Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their heart studieth, same word, haga, destruction, and their lips talk of mischief. The point here is that while righteous studies the righteous study wisdom and godly principles, the wicked are doing just the opposite. They too are going to reap what they sow. And it talks about that in Galatians 6, verse 7. Another Hebrew word is yetzer. This one is translated imagination, form, framing, purpose, and conception. This is the word used in Genesis 6 verse 5 where God says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination, yetzer, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis 8 verse 21 and the, this is after the flood. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination, yet sir, of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. Same word shows up in Deuteronomy thirty-one nineteen to 21. Now, so this is uh, Moses. Now, therefore, write ye this song for you and teach it to the children of Israel. Well, it's God talking to, to Moses, that is. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. For when I shall, shall have brought them into the land which, which I swear unto their fathers that floweth with milk and honey, and they shall have eaten and filled themselves in wax and fat, then they will... Uh, then will they turn unto other gods and serve them and provoke me and break my covenant. And it shall come to pass when many evils and troubles are befallen them that this song shall testify against them as a witness. For it shall not be forgotten out of the mouths of their seed. For I know their imagination, yet sir, which they go about even now before I have brought them into the land which I swear. So God knew long before the Israelites ever disobeyed him that they would disobey. You can argue that this is because God is omniscient and he knows the end from the beginning, and that's certainly true too. But this verse shows that God knew it, at least in part, because he could see what they were imagining. He knew their thoughts would determine their actions. This is exactly what happened in Numbers 13 when the Israelites sent the spies, the twelve spies, into the promised land. God had promised to give them the land, but the spies returned with a negative report. It wasn't an untrue report, mind you. The spies reported that the land was full of giants, and it was. Only Joshua and Caleb recognized that while true, that fact was irrelevant. What they should have been focused upon was God's promise that he would give the land to them regardless of its current inhabitants. But the ten spies' negative report produced fear in the hearts of the people, and that entire generation never got to experience God's intended blessing for them. They died in the wilderness, all except for Joshua, who became the leader after Moses, and actually led the people in 40 years later, and Caleb, who at 85 years old was just as strong as he'd been in his 40s, we're told that in Joshua 14, verse 11. He took the mountain of Hebron, where the most intimidating Canaanites lived, for his inheritance. And we see that story in Joshua fourteen six to 15 And then, same word, Psalm 103, verse 14. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. The word frame is also the word elsewhere translated meditation or thoughts, yet sir. So it's not speaking of just the physical frame. The context here is talking about sins and God's compassion upon us for our weakness. In other words, none of this is easy. God knows that. He pities us and has compassion upon us. And then Isaiah 26, verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind, yet, sir, is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. 
I love this verse. It gives us the recipe for peace. Perfect peace in Hebrew is actually translated, the, the original is actually shalom, 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 the word for peace written three times. The translators presumably didn't know how else to translate that, but perfect peace. David modeled this for us at Ziklag, intentionally turning his mind to the Lord. Jesus modeled this for us when sleeping in the boat in the middle of the storm in Mark four thirty-five to 41. Abraham modeled this for us when he kept his mind on God's promise of a child and not the impossibility of his and Sarah's circumstances in Romans 4 verses 18 to 22. It's not easy, but the result is shalom, shalom, shalom. One more Hebrew word, siyak, means meditate, seek, pray, commune, muse, and ponder. This shows up in First Chronicles 16, verse 9. Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works. So uh, Andrew Womack mentions that this is kind of the idea of self-talk. It's what you're telling yourself repeatedly. Psalm 77, verse 6. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart and with my spirit, and my spirit made diligent search. Psalm 77, verse 12. I will meditate also of all thy works and talk of thy doings. Psalm 105 verse 2, sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works. And Psalm 119 verse 15, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. And repeatedly, this is the same word that's used throughout Psalm 119 is siach. And then Proverbs 23 verse 7, for as he thinks siach in his heart, so is he. And then there's the concept of hope. That um, The word in Hebrew is yahal, which means wait, tarry, trust, hope, and be patient. Hope can be considered a positive imagination. It's the precursor for faith. As we're told in Hebrews 11.1, 1, uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we're told more about hope in Romans 8, verses 24 to 25. Uh, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is not that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which, he, which we see not, then we do so then do we wait with patience for it and psalm 40, 42 verses 5 why art thou cast down o my soul and why art thou disquieted in me hope thou in god for i shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance and then in Greek, dianoia uh, means mind, understanding, or imagination. This one shows up in Matthew 22, verses 37. Uh, you shall love the Lord with Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So this is a command. It's not merely talking about intellectual study, though of course that's part of it. What starts out as an intellectual exercise eventually becomes the mental picture of what we see on the inside. And this same word, dianoia, shows up in Ephesians 1.18, the, the eyes of your understanding, dianoia being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Ephesians 4.18, having the understanding, dianoia, darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So again, this goes in both directions. We can use it either way. Colossians 1 verse 21, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind, Dianoia, by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Hebrews 8.10 For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, Dianoia, and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And First Peter 1 verse 13 Wherefore, for gird up the loins of your mind, Dianoia, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then one more Greek logismos means thought, imagination, reasoning, and judgment. This is the word that shows up in uh, the, the 
2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And just a couple more examples of this principle in action. So when Abraham was believing for Isaac to be born and he started out 75 and then he was 100 by the time Isaac was actually born. Um, so it's in Genesis 13, long before any of this ever happened, God gave Abraham, Abram at the time, because his name hadn't been changed yet, the picture of the dust of the earth as a symbol of his descendants so that he would see that constantly. And that would begin to seep into his subconscious mind as a picture. Um, and then Genesis 15, God then showed Abram the stars in the sky as another picture of his descendants so that he could begin to see it. And then Mark 6, verse 41, before the feeding of the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up, that word anablepo, which means seeing into the unseen realm. He gives thanks as a result of what he sees there, not for what he has in front of him, but what he knows is possible. Second Corinthians 5, verse 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. And this works because that's where all the spiritual blessings already exist. Ephesians 1 3. But if we aren't focusing on it, if we're not planting it, then we're not going to reap the harvest. So I hope that was helpful to you. Thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next week. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Are you looking for a holistically minded healthcare practitioner who truly treats root cause rather than symptom suppression? Unfortunately, even in the alternative healing professions, this isn't a given. That's why I've created WholeHealthDoctor.com, a resource to help connect patients to healthcare practitioners in their area who share a root cause philosophy. Alternatively, most of the practitioners listed also practice telehealth. So if there isn't anyone local to you, you can still find a great practitioner to help you regain optimal health. Go to WholeHealthDoctor.com. That's Whole healthdr.com. Type in your location or adjust the specialty that you're looking for and find the practitioner who's right for you. Thanks for listening to Christian Natural Health. This show is run by you, so please write in with topic and guest suggestions for future shows. For more great content, subscribe to Dr. Lauren's blog at www.drlaurendeville.com or follow her on Facebook or Twitter at Dr. Lauren DeVille. 
If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating in iTunes. It really helps us to stand out so other people can discover great content as well. Have a great week and God bless you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size. Do you know the verses yet still stress over your body? Oh, I get it. I was raised in church, but I struggled with food, eating disorders, and my body for decades. I'm Heather Creekmore, host of the Compared To podcast, where we talk about all things body image and comparison from a biblical perspective. We get real about the pressure to focus on appearance in a culture where looks seem to matter most. Whether you're wrestling wrinkles or battling the scale, Compared To Who is the show for you. You'll laugh a little and be encouraged a lot. If you're ready to stop comparing and start living, visit lifeaudio.com to listen and subscribe.